This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. You're listening to Bookmark on The Bigger Picture with me, Uma Pagan Ampike Pagan. Sarah Bohm's debut novel, Spill, Simmer, Falter, Wither, is divided into four sections, each one a different season, with names she made up to reflect what her main character, Ray, is going through. Spring becomes spill, simmer is summer, falter is fall, and wither, winter. It is a stunning read and one that I promise will linger long after you've turned that last page. Last November, at the Singapore Writers Festival, I had the chance to speak to Sarah about her wonderful book. Okay, well, hello, my name is Sarah Baum. Um, even though my name doesn't sound Irish, I'm Irish. <laughs> um, I'm a first-time author, so I just have the one book out. Um, in 2015, my novel Spill, Simmer, Falter, Wither uh, was published in Ireland and the, the UK, and it's do- doing pretty well so far. It's, um, it's, it's multi-award winning, so I'm assuming <laughs> it is doing quite well. Well, yeah, and it's being translated, which I find really exciting. Could you uh, tell our listeners what the book's about in a nutshell? Okay, I keep um, referring to it as monologue to dog, um, which, uh, well, the whole book is written in tricky second person. And it's uh, from the point of view of a man speaking to his dog. And the the title is uh, the structure of the book, more or less. So it's the seasons. Um, spill is for spring, simmers for summer, falters for autumn, withers for winter. Um, and the book takes place over the course of a year. And, uh, and it's sort of, um, <laughs> I've had it described as a love story, an atypical love story. Um, but it's... Really, really quite a sad story of a very lonely, isolated older man who adopts this this sort of aggressive, um, troublesome dog. And uh, they end up um, sort of forging a friendship that um, I've kind of said the the dog both um, liberates and then ultimately destroys him. Well, yeah, they they, they forge this friendship much to the detriment of everything else around them. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, uh, but in a way... His life, um, Ray, the, the protagonist's life, the narrator's life, um, was not, not in a good place anyway, I suppose. And uh, the dog sort of throws it open um, to the world and, and, and then things slowly come apart. <laughs> what is the best piece of advice, it's a first-time author, that someone ever gave to you before or during your writing process? Ah, I think... Um, I actually, I'm a, a student of fine art as opposed to... To writing, well, I'm a student of writing as well, but um, I, my bachelor's of arts was um, visual art. And um, I'm often asked about that, and I often um, try to explain that they're kind of the same, that everything I learned about sculpture, um, I can similarly apply to, to writing. Um, and the best example I can think of is I had a wonderful tutor in college, um, an American sculptor called Paul Gregg, and um, he would always tell us to, um, to write... Uh, or sorry, not to write, I'm getting confused between my disciplines now, um, that when we made, made a sculpture, that every, every single part of it really meant something and was important. So, um, so I used to try and make kinetic sculptures, things that moved. And of course, nothing would move unless like every cog and every part was in its right place. Um, and 
I was very strong on the meaning as well, the concept. I would begin with the idea and then everything else would come from there. And, you know, he would always say, don't ever paint a sculpture red because, you know, all you have left is a bit of red in the end of the paint can or you like the color red. You know, it's, it's color has to be intrinsic to the meaning of the thing as a whole. And then um, later on when I was studying writing, I had a, a tutor called Carlo Gebler, an Irish writer, who said, um, you know, when you write a character, you have to know what everything about them, what they ate for breakfast, their second cousin, you know, what color their underwear is, everything, even though you don't actually mention that anywhere in the story. You have to absolutely thoroughly know um, every character and every place that that you write about because it matters in the broader scheme of things. And the German writer who I'm a big fan of, um, W.G. Sebald, um, uh, said um, at uh, at some point, again, sort of as writing advice, um, every sentence taken by itself must mean something. Um, And And Sebald writes some long sentences. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was <laughs> taking that to its extreme. But as soon as I heard that, I thought of what um, my sculpture tutor had told me, that, you know, every, every element must mean something. Because I'm assuming that's what you get now. Being a first-time published author, being nominated and winning lots of awards, I'm assuming everyone comes to you now and goes, oh, no, give me some advice. I want to be a writer. <laughs> yeah, which is always strange because you're, you're always in the process of learning. You know? Correct. Um, uh, but talk to me about that. That idea of knowing every single bit about your character, is that, is that how you work or do you still learn stuff about them as you're putting them on the page? Well, I mean, I, yeah, I'm, I, writers always talk about how, you know, the, the character insisted that this or Correct. Yes, and the story how they dis- discovered this or character. They come, they come to life on their own. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I don't really think, you know, the, the characters are construction and, and you invent them, but sometimes... You kind of uh, you you kind of write yourself into a corner. So with Ray, I didn't know what was going to happen at the end, at the beginning. Um, but as I wrote, there were things about his. As I wrote and then looked back, you, I realized that there were things about his character and things about his situation um, that kind of made the ending inevitable. Um, and so and so, I suppose that's what writers mean when they say, you know, it it's took on a life of its own. It insisted to be written this way. I never ask. I never ask writers about the best book they ever read because writers should read and you read so much it's hard to pick one but I am going to ask you what is the best book for you at this moment uh, <laughs> or what are you reading um, now that's blowing your mind um gosh at the moment I'm reading actually Singaporean um literature um because when I go to places, I like to, to read things. And I don't think that it's available to us at home in, in the way Asian literature in general. It a lot of be. it doesn't travel, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, I'd, I, I had been going to read um, The Siege of Krishnapur. Or, sorry, not The Siege of Krishnapur. I'm getting confused. J.G. Farrell's, it's, he has the, um, the Re- Rebellion trilogy. And the, it's the Singapore Grip. That's sorry. right. And then I thought, no, I shouldn't be writing a book by an English writer about Singapore and about <laughs> colonialism, essentially, and uh, the Second World War. I thought, you know, I should wait till I get there and buy books by, by Singaporean writers. So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, but no, in terms of um, a book that, I, that always seems relevant to me, um, and probably my, my favorite book, if that's uh, the right way of putting it. Or if, oh, I'm glad you have To one. answer the original question. <laughs> Um, is uh, the uh, the God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy? Yeah, she's got a new book coming out. I've heard that. Yes. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> I'm excited and scared because I'm, I know it's been 25 years, up? right? Yeah, and the pressure of that must be immense. Well, she's been she's been writing a lot of nonfiction, mm-hmm. um, but you're right. 
God of Small Things was a revelation. It was, and it was to me the moment at which I realized um, that you know writing did not have to be certain sentences in a certain order with punctuation in certain places. You know, it could be anything. It could be a leap of the of the imagination. And how old were you when you read God of Small Things? Nineteen ninety-eight. I think I read it around the time it came out, um, which would have made me a teenager. Um, so, so yeah, it's, I, I've reread it more recently over the years. I, I've reread it and reread it, um, and it always has uh, the same effect. My dirty little secret is that I absolutely hated it the first time I read it. I just, <laughs> I just didn't get it. I didn't get it, and I remember my mom and my sister absolutely loved it, and they made me read it. And I was very young at the time, um, and then I reread it much later. I think in my twenties, and then and that was the point when it was a revelation, and I was like, oh, she's a genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's uh, another book I I would have always answered um, was um, Catcher in the Rye, and yet I didn't. I I don't get it as much now as I did. Then. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's a book that's kind You've of lost its effect it. for me. I don't. It gets kind of whiny as the years go by. <laughs> oh, it's plenty whiny. It's plenty whiny. I, I I will not. I will not even argue with you on that point. It is one of the most whiny characters in literature. But yet there's something, I think there's something about him. And you're right. At the point in which you read about Holden Caulfield, if you are at that age where some of those thoughts even flitted past your mind, you would be like, oh, my God, I relate to that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's probably how Salinger hooks you. Yes. Yeah, and I think uh, because I've sort of matured to um, Franny and Zooey and... um, the race high, the, the roof beams, carpenters, and, and the, the stories. Uh, and uh, Esme with uh, Love and Squalor. Esme with Love and Squalor, that's the one I was trying to think of. Um, and I think disillusion is what I love about Salinger. And, um, it's more subtly and less, less winily <laughs> approached than the others. All right. Where is the best place for you to write? Because if I remember reading correctly, I think there was an interview you did with NPR, and you actually lived in a little town village in Ireland while writing this book. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Summer is very much um, set where I was living at the time. And um, I was spent a lot of time on my own. Um, My boyfriend got a job and I didn't get a job. And I got this dog instead. And I was driving around the countryside. It was a way I I find it hard to actually write. Well, I mean, most of the work is done at the desk, but the sentences don't come at the desk, you know, or the, I, I, I don't really start with sentences. I start with an image. Uh, and so all of the images came elsewhere, you know, and uh, much of it was written in notebooks, sort of sitting like balanced on the on my knees or on the the, the wheat steering wheel of my car with the, the dog next to me, um, <laughs> sort of having having a little picnic somewhere just because I, I needed to get out of the house. And then when I had when I had enough notebooks filled, I realized it was a novel. And that's actually when I sat down at the desk. There's this great image on the Internet of your post-it notes. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that looks absolutely but that that looks absolutely remarkable and insane at the same time tell me about the post-it note process well, you know and I, I find them kind of sad now because um every day I and I still do it I uh I write a, a post-it of the things that I'm going to be doing that day and it, it, it has the date and then the you know whatever and I accumulated the I suppose Phil Simmer was roughly two years you know it didn't need to be that long but um and I, again, for every day that I was writing that book, I, I wrote a post-it. And they're kind of sad reading back in them because a lot of them I'm just putting down. You know, my, my days were, were quite arduous and, um, and, and empty. I didn't have a, a job. And, you know, the country was going through a recession. And I was living far away from my friends. And, um, 
And so, you know, I'm writing things like, you know, <laughs> I don't know, cut fingernails or, <laughs> and this is on my, my to-do list for the day, you know, um, wash, wash socks, something. Um, and then, They're all things we forget. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and anyway, at the end of the, the process, I thought if I pin them all to a wall, that it would look like a massive amount um, and just be sort of impressive. That it shows the, the passage of time, I suppose, the, the waste of time. <laughs> Do you still have a dog? Yes, you still I, have the dog? I still have the dog. Oh, very nice. <laughs> um, and another one. Uh, you never rarely stop at one dog. <laughs> <laughs> what is the, or, or rather, who is, um, who is the best author you've met in real life? Um, I'm always afraid to meet my heroes. Uh, I'm always fearful that they will let me down in person, especially authors, because some of them tend to be in their head so much that they're not really people, pe- people persons. Yeah, yeah. And what about you? I mean, who's the best author you've met in real life? Ooh. Um, you can name names. It's fine. I'm all the way in Kuala Lumpur. They'll never hear it. <laughs> well, I've met a lot of Irish authors um, at this stage, and the... Irish community is wonderful. Um, I mean, we have such a strong tradition of literature. Um, you know, you're, you're kind of <laughs> on the coattails of, of Joyce and Beckett and, Absolutely. and Sean. And that's, that's a wonderful, um, it's, I, I feel it's much easier. I was talking about this with a Singaporean writer um, about how, you know, we're, we both come from small countries, former British colonies. English is our first language because of that. Yeah. Um, and it's it's almost like easier, I think, as an Irish writer to write in Hiberno-Irish, it's, or sorry, Hiberno-English. It's much more acceptable um, than Singlish, for example. Um, and I, I'm lucky because of that. But also it's a really small writing community. And there's a real sense that like, um, you know, they don't sort of, the older writers don't sort of pull up the drawbridge in a way. They're really encouraging. And um, Anne Enright, I think I have to say, is just my favorite person. She's been so kind and so um encouraging and not only i mean i was reading her a long time before i actually knew her and i'm still starstruck even though i've, I've met her many times now <laughs> but you're absolutely right with, with with the small communities i think uh we have that problem here in singapore i think we have a little bit of it in malaysia as well and we're still growing that support community among yes, writers yeah. because for the longest time it was we were still very um isolationist if you will everyone just kind of did their thing by themselves and didn't necessarily see the value in talking to one another about these things and uh, it's nice to hear that the Irish writing community is like that I was in Scotland I was in Edinburgh for the festival last year and it felt Edinburgh had that same vibe it felt that Scottish writers got along everyone helped each other out which is really nice yeah I'm feeling it now more in Singapore because I'm, I'm here obviously <laughs> I know, but festivals like this are absolutely crucial in that, I find. Uh, it's because often, oftentimes it's the only time we meet the other person. Yeah, if- yeah, because like we were saying earlier, it's such a solitary thing. And I live in the middle of nowhere, but I feel like I live in the middle of nowhere in a small enough country. And there are all of these little festivals going on all the time and you meet people inevitably. Last question, but possibly the most difficult question, which is... And, 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 you don't, and you don't have to answer it if you don't have one. But in your head, what was the best line you ever wrote? <laughs> um, because I have those moments where I put something down on paper and I have to call someone. I'll have to call someone and be like, Did you, you want to know what I just wrote? Listen to this. <laughs> I wish. Are you a poet? No, not a poet. No, no, no. no. I, I, I write sure fiction that... and non, but not, not poetry. Because I, I think... With poetry, it might be easier to come up with 
that's that's the best line. No, yeah, there's you more see, emphatic lines in poetry. Well, you see, this is what happens. I write one line, and then the paragraph is rubbish, but there is this one line within it. Yeah, oh, and that's prose, isn't that it? Feels it's like, great. Yeah, yeah. If you get one good line in every paragraph, then that's fine. Well, you see, I like I like the opening sentence of your book. I he like is, the running, 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 running. I really do like that. It feels like poetry. I think I enjoy that. Um, yeah, that's... There's, there's, there's the momentum, that, right? It's great. Yeah, yeah. And and I I wish I could think of something more recent because all the time, I mostly I hate my sentences, you know, as soon as something... <laughs> I remember this was when, when I was making sculpture and I suppose still, I still make stuff. Um, as soon as the as soon as the sculpture is finished and it's a thing, you hate it, you know, Um and that's okay. You can destroy it and go on to the next thing. But in writing, it's it's not like that at all. Especially it's if you there get... in print forever. Yeah, yeah. And you end up. Talk... I mean, I finished this book in 2013, and you know, here I am still talking about it. You can't shed it in the same way. Um, and the the line that I and actually... you can't hunt down all the copies in Singapore either. <laughs> no, it's just too far away. <laughs> no, no, I mean, nor would I want to. Of course, you still want to be read, but at the same time, you've you're constantly revising yourself. I'm going through this at the moment with the second book, and you know, I keep having it run past me. And do you want any changes? And I keep going, yes, yes. Of yes, course, so I do. I could, yeah, you're like, just take it away from me now because it's never, it's never going to be over. Um, but actually, my most quotable line, or the one that I seem to have quoted most, is. Um, Community is only a good thing when you're a part of it. <laughs> That's a good I, line. I think it's a crucial line for the novel um, because it, it is about, and, and we hear all the time, the championing of being a part of a community. We were just talking about being part of a writing community and um, always it's, it's the people not, who aren't part of it who are on the edge of that community that we should probably consider more. And that's really what the book is about. Sarah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'll say it again. Go read Sarah's wonderful book. It's called Spill, Simmer, Falter, Wither and should be available at all good bookstores. I've been speaking to Irish author Sarah Bohm. You've been listening to Bookmark on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.